Hope you got your Bible handy. Let's, and, and what I want to do is I know we're going verse by verse through First Timothy. I want to kind of pause that for just a, a little bit and back up and let the Lord. Uh, several years ago, we did sermon series and we did some small group study uh, based on uh, Groeschel's study on soul detox. And some of these ideas come from that. Uh, we're talking about de- detox is a big thing now, isn't it? And so, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, it's like, you know, everybody's talking about doing a detox. And then you find out that it's, it's really disgusting, you know, when you, when you really, but uh, get rid of all these toxins that hopefully we have, you know, that we hopefully get rid of them that we have like in our bodies that are like making us tired and making us sick and making us have inflammation and making us cranky and, and have all these other, Right. So, yeah, so, you know, that's just talking about in our body. But what we talked about during that study was a detox for our soul, all right? So this is what I'm going to talk about today, and I want you to find uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you, if you kind of got marked there in 1 Timothy, you're just going to um, just back up a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now, Thessalonica was another one of those places <clears throat> like like Ephesus, where Timothy was, that was like really, um, you talk about pagan, uh, they, were, they were not just pagan, but I don't know, we would probably say they were raunchy, okay, is that still a word, huh, uh, to the core, yeah, they were, they were really, uh, some, some weird stuff went on there, so the people who had come to faith in Christ that lived there, their lives have changed dramatically, and learning the way that God, our Creator, who made all things, designed for us to live. <clears throat> and so, this is the thing that, that he's, been, he's been dealing with several issues with them. And, and here's his prayer. As he comes to the end of this letter to the Thessalonians, <clears throat> Paul says this. He says, now, in verse 23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Now may the God of peace, aren't you glad he's the God of peace? Who couldn't use a little peace this morning in their hearts, right, in their life? He's the God of peace. If there is any real peace, it has to come from him and through him. He's the God of peace, okay? And then it says that now may the God of peace himself, that is personally, himself sanctify. That word means to make you holy, to set you apart. Now may the God of peace sanctify you, set you apart completely, and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me again. Father, bless your word and thank you that we have it. Help us to apply it to our lives and Lord, teach us and help us to respond to it in the way that you want us to and in your strength and power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think we know the benefits of being healthy Right? I don't have to explain that. And probably most of us are sitting here thinking, you know, you're talking about detox and toxins and stuff like that. I probably need to eat more healthy than what I do. I probably need to exercise more than what I do, things like that. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it does a lot of good. We know also that we live in an unsafe environment. There's a lot of, like, toxic things out there, right, all around us. And uh, that, um, so, and, and, you know, it just takes a lot to keep us going, right? Because time is against us. You know, the sun is, and the UV rays and all of this stuff is, is doing stuff to us, right? Um, but, you know, we have to work hard to keep ourselves 
really, like I said, going. I mean, some of us maybe should have worked a little harder than what we had. But, you know, we did quite, we had to do quite a bit of work just to get ourselves presentable, right, this morning. You know, some of us, you know, you spent quite a bit of time uh, getting yourself all ready and all fixed up and, and, uh, and, and like all prettied up and everything, Wayne, and uh, things like that. Uh, just, you know, and hey, but we do. We have to work hard to do. Some of us have to work harder than others, but we have to work pretty hard just to keep ourselves from like stinking and things like that, right? Um, which, by the way, I was wondering, do they wear deodorant over there in Kazakhstan? Uh, <laughs> you know, they say that, that smells trigger, trigger memories more than about anything. Uh, they, they, that's what they say. Uh, I don't know who they are, but, but they, they say it, uh, and I heard it. But, um, you know, there are still times that there are, and they, the memories of smells, that, that there are smells that we smelled in New Guinea back when we went on that trip that are still etched deep. deep. There's just nothing in the world like it. Anyway, uh, so we got to work pretty hard just to keep ourselves presentable and keep ourselves from stinking. But as much attention as we put on our physical bodies, as I stand here looking at all of you today, I can't really see you. I mean, I can't see the real you. The real you. The real you is not your body. The real you is actually on the inside. Okay? So we spend all this time and all this attention and all this focus, and we should spend some on our outward body, our physical body, but the real you is not even your outward body. The real you is on the inside. And so, remember, this is one thing that we used in that study we did, and is this whole point right here, and you need to get this down, is to remember this, that you are not a body with a soul. According to the Bible, you are a soul that has a body. You are a soul with a body. A lot of people think that their body is who they are. That's not true. You're a soul that has a physical body. And when you die the physical death, your Bible tells us your body dies, but your soul lives on forever. Your soul lives... Do you hear that? Your soul goes on into eternity, lives on forever. That's what the Bible teaches. So you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. In the very beginning, as God were creating uh, human beings, it says, And the Lord God formed man, meaning mankind, out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a what? A living what? A living soul. All right? So, became a living soul. And even though... Uh, our bodies age and fail us. It's good to know, though, that uh, according to the gospel, you know, as, as time goes on, the effects of the curse of sin and things that came later and all of that, uh, I'm just, in the last, you know, five or ten years, really, you know, when you're growing up, you know, you just, you know that's out there, but, you know, I've never been old before. I stink at it. I'm no good at it, right? Uh, but you know it's coming, and then all of a sudden these things start changing, and these things start happening. You think, this can't be happening to me. I thought somehow I was going to be the only human being that ever lived that somehow this would not happen to. And it doesn't seem real that I'm the age that I am. Uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right. But then all of a sudden, and all this, it's all still true that there are certain genetic things built into each one of us. And it's like when I hit a certain age, different things start going off, right? And it's like I got to a certain age and all of a sudden my hair color starts changing, right? And, and then all of a sudden it's like, I hope I keep enough hair to have some hair color or whatever, right? But you know what? What y'all don't realize is I started off, um, 
with not just blonde hair, but white. My hair, when I was a little guy, was just white. In fact, they called me Cotton Top. And then as I got older, it got blonder, and then it got brown, and it got, like, really brown. And see, now it's getting back to white. I'm skipping gray and just going to white. All I'm doing is going back to I'm second childhood, right? I'm young again. It's not old. It's young again, right? That's what I'm telling myself. But it's like these things start happening, you know, and it's, it's programmed into us. But isn't it good to know that even those are beginning to feel the effects of age, and, and even as, as you, things that you used to do and your brain remembers how you do it and you try to do it and the signals are sent and the, the parts don't respond, right? That's why you've got to be careful out there on the basketball court or on the slip and slide or on pretty much anything that you're doing, okay? Because it might not turn out like, like you thought. Uh, but it's good to know, though, as we get to that point, and it's going to happen to all of us if we stay here long enough, if we get where you can't do what you want to do. Not just what you, you can't do what you used to do, you just can't do what you want to do. But it's good to know that that's just your body. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said in 2 Corinthians four sixteen. therefore we do not lose heart. I'm not going to lose heart. Even though our outward man, that's our body, is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. I'm glad that in my soul, the real me, I can be made fresh, I can be made new and every single day, that you don't have to grow old and perish in your soul, that you can be renewed every single day. But this whole thing of being a, 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 a cleanse for the real you, to be cleansed, that's what we're talking about today, is that we need a cleanse for the real us. Talking about all these different programs people go through to try to make themselves healthy. Uh, what we need is to be the real us to be healthy. We try to keep this outer thing healthy, and we forget the most important thing, the eternal part of us, our souls. Um, so there's a lot of news uh, these days about contamination and stuff like that, um, and you know, have friends that live up in Michigan. You remember the tough time they've had, like over the last five years or so in Flint, Michigan, that they found out after they made some changes in their water source and all that, that they had lead, harmful amounts of lead in the water. And uh, you just, and it was just been tragic. They spent millions and millions of dollars trying to deal with this. And then now even trying to get it cleared up, they find out that there's some people that uh, actually some of the pipes that are in their houses and that connect to the service were galvanized or lead pipes. And so some of their contamination has been there always. And it wasn't even coming from the main supply. Even after the main supply was fixed, they still had their own supply or their own, uh, they were getting contamination. Um, there was one guy said that whenever he was a young man, you were told that you couldn't drink the water in Mexico and that all the jobs were in Michigan. He says, now you can't drink the water in Michigan and all the jobs have gone to Mexico. Everything begins to change. And, uh, you know, this is the thing. And uh, during, during uh, medieval times, they used lead uh, to, to make different uh, things. They, they would make wine and stuff in lead containers because it, it, it produced a better flavor than brass. And they didn't realize that they were poisoning themselves. No wonder some of them went insane, you know, and stuff like that back then. Um, and then, you know, I can remember my gramps telling me about, you know, back in the old days on the farm before the dairy had begun. Of course, everybody, everybody, you know, kind of dairied a little bit, didn't they? If you wanted milk to drink, you had to have a cow and go out there and, and you know, all that. But uh, they grew cotton and that they grow, they worked it all by hand, and man, you know, and even when my mom and my dad, both sides of my family, they grew up growing cotton, 
and uh, they did it all by hand, and I had to hear all those stories every time I complained about anything or wanted to go anywhere or do anything. I had to hear all those cotton-picking stories. I'm serious, cotton-picking stories. And, you know, you wonder where that expression comes from. I can tell you where it comes from. It comes from my dad. Because <laughs> all this stuff about picking cotton and chopping cotton, which actually meant they were out there, you know, with a hoe or something, and they were, were getting the weeds out and all that. That's what that, they did all this stuff. But you know what? Uh, I, I enjoyed hearing Granny and grand, my great-grandma and grandpa talk about what it was like in the, in the, in the late 20s and going into the time of the Depression about what it was like uh, raising my papa and his sister and brother during that time and taking care of their family and growing nearly everything that they ate and all of this. And, but the problem was, is I remember Granny told me, I interrupt myself. So, so if I interrupt you, don't worry, I interrupt myself too. But I remember Granny telling me one time that they made it, you know, like nearly all year on like $35 all summer, all from, from spring to winter. And so it has $35, and they pretty much grew everything they needed. They had a little account at the local store, and then when they got their cotton all picked, and they, they took it to the gin and sold it, then they could cover whatever they had, and then they, they were doing, they were, they were in high cotton, you know what I'm saying? Uh, all that. So, um, did well. But one thing could happen could wipe you out. If one thing happened, you get these little bugs, these weevils that got in the cotton, it would destroy the crop. And then you're, you're, you're just hoping that you had enough food that you were able to put back to get through the winter. Okay? You're not going to be able to get the Sears Roebuck magazine and, and mail order those new shoes that you get once a year. You're going to build Ford them this year. You're just going to have to stay in the ones you had. And if you're a kid, more tough stories. You're a kid and you've outgrown those shoes. You just have to cut the ends of the shoes out so your toes can stick through, I guess. So like that. Just poor, bad. But... You know, because that was a big concern. You think about it, every year the weevils start showing up, and it's like fear strikes in their heart of all this. And then he talked about this miracle cure that they, you know, they, they even had prayer meeting at church, thanking God for this miracle cure that, that, that they'd come out with, and it was like an answer to prayer. They could put that on their cotton, and there would be, it took care of the weevils. There was no problem with weevils, and it saved them. Of course, you and I know that special miracle is DDT. And uh, they didn't, they knew, well, it kills these bugs, so it's probably not good for us. But they got it all over them and did things like that. And, and then possibly years later, uh, it can cause cancer and cause different things like that. So there were probably health effects as they got older that they had because of the toxins that they got when they were young. Is this going somewhere? Do you understand spiritually the implications of this? That there are some of us taking toxins into our minds, into our souls, even when you're young, and it can contaminate you all your life, okay? So we need cleansing. And here's another thing. We live in a nasty world. There are toxins everywhere. It's in the air we breathe, but it's also spiritually there as well. And if you're going to live on planet Earth, and if you're going to have any kind of life at all, you and I are going to encounter all kinds of toxic stuff that can infect and destroy the health of the real us, our soul. That's why we're talking about this today. And that is the most important thing. As much time and as attention as we want to put on our bodies, keeping them looking good, keeping them smelling good, keep us ourselves in shape, and, and all of that, the most important part of us is the soul that you can't even see. And that's why Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew um, chapter 16, verse 26, what does it profit? <clears throat> what profit is it to a man 
If he gains the whole world, I'm not talking about that you do well. I'm saying you rule the world. You gain the whole world and loses his own soul. That's how important your soul is. And he says, or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? It's the most important part of you. And so, as kind of review this real quick, are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Come on, listen fast. Are you ready? There's three, there are three parts of you. Talk about the most important part of you. There are three parts of you to you, to, you, to the real you. There is your body, and uh, that is the, in the Greek, in the original language of the Bible, that's the word soma, and that is where you have physical life. So you have your body, you have physical life, and you have your soul, that's the suke. And that is where you have psychological life, your mind, your will, and your emotions. All of that is the real you that you have, it's kind of your soul. And then there's the spirit, and the Greek word is pneuma, and that's how you have spiritual life. So we have three types of life. In the body, you have physical life. In the soul, you have emotional life and uh, psychological life. And then with the spirit, you have spiritual life. So the body... That's our earthly house, this body that we already read the verse where he made it out of clay, all right? Paul called it in one place a clay pot. We have this treasure in clay pots, these bodies of ours. It's the place where you live. It's the outer person, you might say. That's the outermost you. It's the one we see, and that's your physical body. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 1. He says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, he's not talking about a house or a tent he's living in. He's talking about his physical body. He's calling it a tent. He says, this house, this tent, if it's destroyed, talk about when we die, that he's talking to believers. He says, we have a building from God. Amen? He says, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It's never going to be destroyed or fall apart. He's talking about a new body that God's going to give us. When I move out of this house, he's got a house. Not just a mansion over the hilltop. I'm talking about a physical body that we're going to have that's going to be glorified that we'll have for eternity. Paul talks about that all through those passages. In fact, in verse 8 he says, to be absent from this body is to be present with him. And that's what happens when our soul, spirit, departs our body when we die. Anyway, so um, with your body you have physical life. And with your body you know the physical world. And the other thing that we find out is that because of the curse of sin, this earth is cursed, this world is cursed, our physical bodies, we're also cursed in that. And that's why even though you're saved, you're still going to have struggles in the flesh, the fleshly nature and the physical fleshly body itself. That's why Paul said this in Romans 8.10. He says, and if Christ is in you, that is you're saved, and Christ is your Savior, Christ is living in you. He said the body is dead because of sin. How can I say this? You're going to die. Your body is going to wear out. You're going to have physical problems. The body is cursed. Even if Christ living in you, the body is dead, as good as dead, because of sin, the curse of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Amen? The spirit is life. We're going to talk about that, unpack that a little bit. Because of Christ's righteousness that's been deposited in our account. If you read this whole passage there, that's kind of what he's been talking about. So he's talking about your body. Body is, is the outermost year. It's been cursed by sin. All of that. We're going to get a new body someday. And then there's the soul. And that's the Greek word suke. It's the psychological part of you. It's the mind, will, and emotions. It's the stuff that really makes you you. Like I said, I don't see the real you. I see your house. You are actually on the inside looking out at me right now. So that's why he, the Bible tells us that the soul, and because of sin, our soul is lost. Our soul is corrupted. Our minds, our wills, all of these things are corrupted because of sin. And our souls need to be saved. 
That means we're separated from God, we're lost in sin, and that's why in 1 Peter 1, 9, he says, receiving the end of your faith. Now, we receive God's grace through faith when we're saved, but what's the end product of our faith in Christ? It is the salvation of your souls. See, our souls need to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the effects of sin, saved from separation from God, saved from hell, okay? We just put it bluntly. Salvation of your souls. Now, there's also the spirit. And even though it's closely related, it's not the same thing as the soul according to Scripture. And I say that because even though it's hard for us to discern the difference, God makes a difference. He does. I'm just telling you what I see in Scripture. He makes a distinction between soul and spirit. They're two different words. Um, as much as he does between the soul and the body. In fact, one place where you see that is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Are you still with me? Yeah, we got summertime blues, evidently. I know it. And, you know, I know a lot of people are out of pocket and things like that. But this is exciting stuff. And it's important stuff. And some of it can be a little painful. And so, uh, but I need this. You know, any cleanse you do is not going to be pleasant, evidently, right? And so sometimes the cleanse that he wants to do in our hearts and our souls, it may not seem pleasant to us. It may seem painful to us, but we're going to feel so much better. We're going to be so glad. We need that during the middle of these summertime blues, okay? Uh, In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is alive, it's living and powerful, and sharper than any double-edged, any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So the word of God can divide between, discern between, dissect between soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, it gets all the way down in there. So what I'm saying is, is the word of God is such a sharp instrument, it can divide between and separate between your soul and spirit. The, no doctor or psychoanalyst can do that. It's not even something that we could figure out on our own. And you know what? That's the way it is with all these spiritual truth. Human beings can never figure this out on our own. That's why it had to be by revelation from God. God had to reveal these things to us. You could never with your logical human mind discover these things or figure these things out. It has to be revealed to us from God. In his and he revealed this to us right here in this verse. So your spirit is that characteristic. How is it different from your soul? It's that characteristic in your complete makeup that enables you to know and to worship God. It distinguishes you from the animals. The spirit, listen to me, is the seat of God's presence, of God consciousness in your life. It's the place in you where you know God. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 16, it says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to Him. Jesus said, how are we to worship? In spirit and in truth, right? Okay? So there's that part of us. So as you sit here today, you have three kinds of life. With your body, you have physical life. Amen? I'm beginning to wonder about some of us. You heard about the church where they got a 911 call that there was a heart attack during church and the paramedics showed up and they, they dragged out and worked on like 90 people before they found the right guy. No, it's, that, that wouldn't be you today, surely. So you have three kinds of life. With your body, you have physical life and you know the world beneath you. With your soul, you have psychological life and you know the world around you and we know each other with our souls. 
But with your spirit, you can have spiritual life and know the world above you. You ought to be tuned in to all three realms. The world beneath you, the world around you, and the world above you. When your body is right, you're healthy. Right? When your soul is right, you're happy. And when your spirit is right, you're holy. That's the way Adam was in the garden before sin. He was healthy, happy, and holy. Most people in America today are unhealthy, unhappy, and certainly unholy. What made us this way? Sin. Easy answer. Before sin, Adam was a whole man. And this is what salvation is, folks. It is the restoring of what sin has taken away. Did you realize that? God wants to make you whole again. Now, the body is the outer person, the soul is the inner person, and the spirit is the innermost person. You see that? There's three. We're made in God's image, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's no surprise that there are three parts to you, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Even, there's so many threes in the Bible. There's threenesses. You even look at the Old Testament tabernacle, and you see the tabernacle. Remember that? Remember our study on that? You have three parts to the tabernacle. You've got the outer court, you have the inner court, and then you have the innermost. And the outer court is where the sacrifice took place, right? That's kind of like the physical part. The physical body is our outer court. And he said to present what as a living sacrifice to God in Romans 12.1? Your bodies. Isn't that amazing? And then, and then as you go inside, you see that in this, in this tent, there's two parts to it. And in the holy place, the inner part of it is where the, the uh, lampstand and the, the incense and the showbread was. They did service before the Lord there. You serve God from your soul. That's the inner you. And the innermost part of that temple, that innermost part of that tabernacle behind that veil, that's where the very Shekinah presence of God dwelt. And it's in the innermost part of you where the very presence of God dwells. See, before you're saved, the Bible says you are spiritually dead. I mean, there's still maybe three parts of you, but your spirit is dead. Now, in the Bible, death never means like being annihilated or cease to exist. The word death means separation. God told Adam and Eve that the day that they disobeyed him, that they would surely die. Well, you and I have read the story, and we know that on that day, they didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. They were separated from a perfect God. And then they ultimately did die physically. But God's presence. So here's a picture. Can I show you a picture of you when you get saved? Can I show you a picture of what you look like when you get saved? Okay, here we go. Uh, this is outer part. That's the outer you. That's your body. And then there's your inner part that we can't see on the outside. We see the effects of it by the way you act and the way you talk. And that's your soul. And then there's that innermost part of you, your spirit. And it's in that spirit. You see this triangle? There's three sides to it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That God lives within the most inner, the holy of holies of you. That's where when you get saved, God lives inside you like that. So that's the thing that happens. Uh, So when we get saved, we become a temple of God. That's why the New Testament says that technically... We call this a house of God. It's really a house of worship. That the true house of God where God dwells is not in some building. It is the physical body of the believer. He says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God dwells inside of us. So your body is like a temple or a tabernacle. And God dwells within each one of us believers. Isn't that awesome? 
That is awesome. And so, um, and, and, and see, it's kind of a bad concept to just call the church house, the physical building, the church or the house of God. And we can say that, and we know what we mean. But, you know, as a kid growing up, you might get the idea, well, God's really there in a way he's not anywhere else. We better watch the way we act and how we dress and all that while we're there. But when we get out of there, you know, he's not quite so close. We can go on and do kind of what we do, right? But here's the thing. If you're a believer, you're taking the house of God with you everywhere you go. Everything you do, every interaction you're in, every conversation you have, the house of God is with you because he's living inside your physical body. So that physical body even becomes more important because it houses the presence of God and your soul as well. Uh, so anyway, this is a picture of what, what you look like. Um, now before we got saved, this is what happened when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, what was God's response? He says, I can't dwell in a dirty house. So God is holy. That's his chief characteristic. God is perfect. The complete opposite of sin. He cannot accept sin, and he can't dwell with sin. And so after Adam sinned, um, you see, if God overlooked sin, if God just permitted sin, God wouldn't be perfect, and God wouldn't be holy any longer. Now, after sin, Adam was still body, soul, and spirit, but follow me. That day, his spirit died. That is, he was separated from God by sin. And then he, uh, his spirit died that day. He was minus God. He was no longer led by God. He was what we call fallen from his relationship with God. That's why we call it the fall. He was fallen from his previous relationship with God. And this is what it means to be lost. We are lost in sin. We are spiritually dead. You don't have to be a murderer. You don't have to be a bank robber. Just minus God. And that's what death is, separation. That's why Paul says in this verse, and you, talking about people who had gotten saved and received Christ as Savior and put their faith in Jesus, that you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And they might say, well, I was alive. I mean, I'm like 20-something years old. Not me, I'm somebody else in the illustration that I'm using is you know I'm like I've lived so that's not what he's talking about he's saying you were dead spiritually you were dead you were like you had a you know you had a body you're walking around but you're kind of like that Christmas tree that we go out and you cut down and you bring it in and you, you put maybe a little water but it's dead you've cut it off from its life source right I mean you decorate it up but you know the clock's ticking that thing's going become a fire hazard before. Isn't that the way a lot of people are? I mean, we are decorated but dead. Huh? We just want to keep putting on more decoration to cover up the deadness. But that's what he says. You were dead in trespasses and sins. So the effects of sin and death in Adam did not all show up immediately, even though he died spiritually that day. He existed on earth for many years. It's, if death, then, is separation of the Spirit from God, what's salvation? Salvation is simply getting God back into you. That's what salvation is. And heaven is a byproduct. So the whole thing about me being saved is restoring my relationship with God and God's presence being back inside man, human beings. Heaven's a byproduct of that. Getting saved is not just about getting your ticket punched to heaven and then going about your life as you please. Salvation is this. This is what it's about. Salvation is God living in you and making you what he wants you to be. Amen? That's what salvation is about. Not just you going to heaven where God is. It's God coming down where you are and living inside of you. 
Uh, it's salvation is not getting you out of earth and into heaven. It's God coming out of heaven and into you. When God forgives your sin and comes to live in your spirit, then here's what happens. Remember that drawing I had up there? God's living in your spirit. So now God, by his power, rules your spirit. Then your spirit drives your soul, the way you think, the decisions you make, your mind, will, and emotions. And then your soul controls your body. That's how when you don't feel like doing something, you make yourself do it. Your body's not in charge here. The soul's in charge of the body, and the spirit's in charge of the soul, and God's in charge of the spirit. And a lot of times we live the opposite way. We get up Sunday morning and say, well, boy, I just don't feel like getting out of bed. Our soul says, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and then convicts our soul. And you know what? You need to do what the Bible says and not forsake the assembling yourselves together. But then the body says, nope, I think I'm going to be in charge here. I don't feel like it. And so the body tells the soul, and the soul resists the spirit. It's backwards. See? We need to be directed by the spirit of God through our spirit. And then that directing our soul to tell our body that you're not the boss. How many people are just controlled by the body, by the appetites of the flesh? You know, because if we're tired, we just feel like we want to rest. If we just, if we, we don't put up with anybody's mess either. So the body controls the soul. You know, I'm going to be short with you. I'm going to be, I'm going to all this because I feel, it, it does, it affects us, right? Uh, but you know that you can, you can have discipline so that the body's not in charge, you know. That's the thing that gets us involved in all kinds of things. Everything from lust, everything to gluttony, everything to laziness is where the body is controlling the show. It's the opposite of the way it's supposed to be. And so, here's the thing. Uh, when, when the Lord comes along, He wants to turn things around. He wants to put things under God's control again. Now, remember back when Adam died that day, that God said this day He died immediately in His spirit, didn't He? Separated from God. But He also d- died progressively in His soul as the mind, will, and emotion became more corrupted by sin. And then ultimately, He did die in the body. Now, when a person gets saved... Are you ready for this? And I tell you what, I think I'm preaching better than you're listening. Let's reverse the process, okay? That's what God's going to do. He's going to reverse the process. He turns the whole thing around. When you get saved, you are justified immediately in the Spirit. That is, you are forgiven of your sins just as if you had never sinned because Jesus paid for it all. Now a holy, perfect God can move into you because the sin that separated you has been dealt with, has been paid for. And you are justified immediately. You come alive. You come alive. You've been resurrected on the inside immediately, immediately. And then we are sanctified progressively in the soul, in our mind, will, and emotions. As we grow as a Christian, we're made to think more like Christ and become more like Him. And we are going to be glorified ultimately in the body. Even though this physical fleshly body is dead because of sin, I've got the promise that one of these days he's going to give me a new body. And one of these days I'm going to be delivered from the flesh and the curse of the flesh. One of these days my soul's not going to be attacked by the fleshly nature. I'm going to be perfect. I'm never going to struggle with sin again. I'm never going to struggle with the flesh again. I'm never going to struggle with age again. We're going to have a real body. But that's why he said flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Because we're going to have a new body that's different than this flesh and it's going to be perfect and it's and i'm ready for it how about you (laughs) amen 
And this is what happened. God reverses the process so that then we're glorified ultimately in the body. And we'll be a whole person again, body, soul, and spirit. Salvation puts it into reverse order, what happened when we're lost. This is why you might be saved and still have problems. That's because the sanctification process, the setting you apart and making you holy in your soul, it's a progressive process. It doesn't happen all at once, and it's going to go on until you die. And I know there are many people that feel like you have this experience after you're saved, and that, boom, you're perfectly sanctified. Well, I'm going to tell you, unless you're as perfect as Jesus Christ in all of your thoughts, not just your actions, you're not there yet. Now, I do believe there are experiences that you're going to have, and the Holy Spirit's going to take you through, that are going to bump you up a bunch of notches. But I don't just believe in what we call the second blessing. I believe in the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. Because nobody, I've never met a human being, and there was only one that lived on earth that was perfect. Even those who are saved, we're forgiven, but we're not perfect, but we're hopefully growing. Right? But let me just ask you, have there been any experiences that you've had with God that have bumped you up a bunch of notches in your holiness, in your sanctification, in your Christ-likeness, in your closeness to Him? Some people have gone all their life. It's just kind of been, well, I got saved and I've just kind of been in here. I want to tell you, the Lord wants to move you on the inside that will affect you on the outside. And it's not a one and done. Because if you're that perfect, he'd just take you on to heaven. It's going to keep happening. And I hope that we keep growing. And I get bored with life. You get older. It ought to be exciting because there's new things and more things God wants to do as we grow. Because I get to thinking sometimes, man, I would like to go back to being younger. I'd like to go back. But but when I say that, what I mean is I would like to have a 28-year-old body. But I don't want my soul to be in the shape it was at 28. I was already your pastor when I was 28. But I'm telling you, I look back at myself, I'm like, ugh. I've had to learn some things the hard way. God's had to teach me things a lot of tough ways. I I don't want to regress, right? Now, if I could take this me back there, that'd be cool, right? Don't you wish? Boy, I wish I could go back and do different things over. You wish I could go back and start over, but that means take this me back and start over. I don't want to go back to being the me because I'd just do more dumb stuff, right? Okay, so this is what God wants to do in changing our lives around. So you can be a Christian. You can read the Bible. You can attend church. You can even serve in some of God's work. You, you may still have hang-ups. You may still have weaknesses. You may have bad attitudes. You may have sin, which you may not even be fully aware of that are hindering you and your ability to worship God and be healthy in your Christian life. Because we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a sin-cursed flesh. And we're exposed to all these things. And here's what the point is, is that all these things around us and that even come from within, in us are like toxins, spiritual toxins that will poison the life of Christ within you. And you know, we do have an enemy, and he works through all these avenues. But I want to tell you, because you have a fleshly nature, there are some things that you can't just blame on the devil. And um, I'm going to just say this. Yeah, you need to rebuke the devil. Absolutely, you do. In Jesus' name, because you don't have the authority to do it on your own. It's only through Jesus' authority. And that's why we use his name. When you're connected to his name, it's his authority. It's not magic words that you say to scare the devil away. It's, it's, It's putting yourself in submission under his authority. So get that straight, please. But there are times we're rebuking the devil, and the devil's off to the side saying, What? What? That was you, man. 
James said, every person is tempted when he's drawn away of what? His own desires, his own, his, his or her, as the case may be, own lust or desires. And then entangled. And then lust, when it is full grown, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So there's a lot about us. So, yeah, rebuke the devil in Jesus' name under his authority because of the power of the cross. But you might need to quit doing some things you've been doing. You might need to quit looking at some things. You might need to discipline, you know, the spirit, Holy Spirit, drive your spirit to drive your soul to make your little eyes be careful what they see and your mouth be careful what it says, right? Yeah, yeah. I want the Holy Spirit just to make me do what no, He says, you're involved in this. You're in this. I'm going to give you the strength, but you've got to do the doing of it. Jesus told the lame man, get up and walk. Jesus didn't get up and walk for him. He, his power healed him, but the dude had to get up. And he had never gotten up in his life. To him, it was impossible. But he had to start getting up. I have a feeling if he just laid there saying, I can't do it, do it for me, that nothing would have happened. He can't do it on his own, but he wants to involve you. Same thing's happening as you and I deal with toxins in our life that God wants to eliminate so we can be healthy and we can be happy and most importantly, we can be holy. So, the most important work is not what you're accomplishing outwardly. And I hope we're accomplishing some good things outwardly. The most important work going on in your life is what's happening on the inside. But if it's happening on the inside, it's going to show on the outside. Did you know that? It, that sanctification happening inside is going to show on the outside. Listen to what he said in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Did you see that? To make you holy. He wants to make your soul, make you, the real you, more like Jesus. He wants to eliminate the toxins in your soul by the power of the Spirit. And did you notice there's a second part of that? So it's God's strength that does this. We have to submit to it, the Spirit, and belief, that's faith, in the truth. So the Spirit of God always uses what? The Word of God in our life. That's the truth and faith in the truth. If you want to bypass the Word of God, if you think just a little dose on Sunday morning from me is all you need, you are mistaken. And you're going to be unhealthy. You're going to have some toxins in your soul that are going to drag you down. Because you've got to have the word of truth by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Listen how Jesus put it. Can I add a little more to it? John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify. There's that word again. Make them holy, separate them, make them pure by your truth. What do you mean? What truth? His word. Because Jesus answers it. He says, by your truth, your word is truth. So the Spirit of God using the word of God to purify us. That's the visible agent through which uh, he works is through his word. And so he tells us in Ephesians 5, 26, that he, that, that the Lord may sanctify, there's that word again, and cleanse. See, that's what we're talking about, being made holy and cleansed. Cleansed. And he's talking about the church by the washing of water of what? The word. The word's like helps cleanse us. So without the word of God, you're not going to deal with these toxins. You've got to have a daily dose of the word of God, submission to the spirit of God. So what does it all mean, all right? He wants us to be without spot, without wrinkle before him, he says in that passage. So what's worse than realizing it? See, now, what's worse, what's bad is, is there's been some people who realize they got toxins they're taken into their body and they realize it's killing them, but they don't care. 
All right? And that could be about anything, you know, whether it's drugs or whether it's the misuse of prescriptions or whether it's alcohol, too much alcohol, or whether it's apple pie or whether it's too much, you know, donuts or whatever. Now, we realize we're taking stuff in that's destroying us, and, and, and though we know it, though we know it, we keep doing it, nothing's going to change. But we're taking things in spiritually that's destroying the real us. That's more important than your physical body. So God says, I want to give you the wisdom and I'll guide you by my word and by my spirit to help you do some things that are going to cleanse the real you. And when you're cleansed on the inside, it's going to show on the outside. So the only thing that I have left to say is, isn't it time for a soul cleanse? And I find myself needing this every day. You know what? Don't come up to me and say, well, boy, you stink. And then you hear me say, I took a shower Last month, you get dirty every day. You're walking through this world, you're going to get dirty every day. We need a daily cleanse in the Word. And we need this special time when we all come together. Isn't it time for that? Are you ready? Are we ready to submit and let God do what He wants to do? Will you pray with me, Father? Thank you for.